0: Romans chapter 11, verses 33 through 36, the Apostle Paul writes this doxology, Oh, the depth of the riches in wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments. How inscrutable, inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Or who has given him a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him, and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. I was chatting with uh, Jerry Monti. Hello. Uh, He's up in the south foyer doing security, and he's got the TV. He was thanking me that he has a TV, so he can watch the, the service while he's up there and not miss it. And I said, you do realize the one thing that you have that all the rest of you don't, the ability to mute the preacher. So he can mute the button right now if he wants. You can't. Amen. That's what the preacher says. Amen, right? All right. So I'm glad that you're here. I hope you have a copy of God's Word with you right now. We're going to be in 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4. Take a look at the screen, if you would, please. You see a graphic up there. Has anybody here throughout this entire series, as Pastor Mark has been going through 1 John been confused by this at all? What's this little sunshiny thing in the heart? Have we been able to put that together yet? Jesus came. This, this text is being written to uh, essentially assure the believers of their salvation. And it opens up in chapter 1 with Jesus, or with God, revealing himself as light. We see in John 1 John 1 that he is the light, and also we see this heart that he has come to love. So God has come to, uh, through Jesus, be light, be the light of the world, and to give life to the world. And why or how is he doing this? It's through uh, the heart up there, through the love. And so we've gone through over the last number of weeks some testing. And if you break out a bunch of first John, and Pastor Mark has done a wonderful job of leading us through the scriptures and explaining to us uh, these various tests that we see, right? We saw this moral testing taking place in chapter two, one through six. Then there was a social test in verses seven through eleven. Then in chapter two, eighteen through twenty-one or twenty-seven, we see the doctrinal test. And then a couple of weeks ago, Pastor Mark shared a message of love in chapter 3, verses 11 through 24. So if you were here for that message, you might be looking through the text right now as I'm speaking and see that this is going to sound a lot like what we saw in chapter 3, 11 through 24. And you're right, because he uses a lot of the same language. And so if I can keep with something that Pastor Mark has been doing, let's call this one the love test of assurance, The love test of assurance. So if you're there with me, let's start right at the beginning at chapter 7. Verses 7 through 11 are kind of one little chunk here. And it starts, John starts by saying beloved. All right? He's he's identifying and recognizing the people he is talking to and giving them this identification as God's beloved people. He's not just there saying, okay, sinners, listen up. Okay, hey, people there's some emotion and something more significant to the way he even addresses the people. He calls them beloved, God's beloved. And he moves on from there. Beloved, let us love one another. Let us love one another. For love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. In this the love of God has made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. So he starts off with that address, beloved, and then gives a command. Let us love one another. That's what we are called to do. That's what we need to do. For love is from God. This, this first part, this chap, uh, section of seven through 11, I've called the part where God's love is shown to you. The next section will be God's love shown through you. And then the following section, God's love shown uh, excuse me, God's love shown for you. So to you, through you and for you. So this first part is God's love shown to you. And so we see first in verses seven through eight that uh, there is an origin from this love. Where did this love come from? Right. This love came from God, which is appropriate because if we remember Genesis chapter one, the very first words of Scripture say, "In the beginning, what? God. Right. In the beginning, God. God always is. God always was. He's the uh, the origin, the originator, the creator." I should say, of all things, of us and of love, which we are going to be talking about here today. He is the originator of love. And whoever, this is the test, whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. So for whoever truly loves is saved, is a follower of Christ. Verse 8, anyone who does not, conversely, love, does not know God, is not a true follower of God. Because God is, what? Love. He is always giving of himself because he desires the best for you and for me. He desires the best. If he did not desire the best, then after Genesis 3, when the fall came into the picture, do you think God would do anything to allow us to reconcile with him? You can shake your head yes or no. Just shake it yes, you'll be correct. In this question, you can vote yes. God is love. He wants the best for us. Secondly, here we see Him communicate this love. First, He tells us where it came from. It's from Him. And secondly, He tells us here in verses 9 through 10, uh, He communicates to us what that is. In this, Pastor Mark mentioned this a number of times, a lot of these words that are just there all the time, right? And here's another one of those this is that points to something. In this, We'll get to that in a second. The love of God was made manifest among us. Manifest or evident or made public. In this, the love of God was made public among us. What's the this? That God sent his son into the world. This is how God demonstrates or how God shows, how God communicates to us his love by sending us Jesus to show us what that even means and looks like. Why? So that we might live through him, that through Jesus Christ himself, we might have life. John chapter 10, verse 10, that we may have life, but not just life, because right now everybody in this room has life. You're breathing, right? I hope you're still breathing. But that's not the life that that he's talking about. John 10.10 explains that this isn't just this life. It's life more abundant than this. This is the eternal life in Christ. Verse 10, we get another this. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he, this is the this, that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Now, God's a a God of order and design, and and if I can insert a couple of words here, not that we have loved God first, but that he loved us first. That matters. The order incredibly matters. Have you ever given any thought to to this uh, question? What came first, the chicken or the egg? Right? Right? has dumbfounded people for for years and years and years and I and I have the answer, all right, because I read the book of Genesis. God created the fowl, the the birds of the air and and birds. I, I submit that he he created the chicken first. Right? The eggs came next. But order matters. He loved us first. And he sent his son. We see in John 3, 16, well-known passage, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. But it goes on, for God did uh, not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Saved through him. Romans 5.8, we know this one. But God shows his love or demonstrated his love. Communicates his love to us in that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. He became the propitiation for our sins. Or he satisfied God's wrath for us. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is... Death And because Romans 3.23 is also true that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, what we deserve for this sin, for this rebellion against God, is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life. He became that substitute for our sin. 2 Corinthians 5.21, For our sake he made him, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin. Jesus bore our sin for us. And then we get to verse 11, where he again addresses them as beloved. If God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. So I find it interesting in, in verse 7 and verse 11, he kind of bookends this part with the identification of beloved, but then also with that command. We ought to love one another. It's not a suggestion. And that will become more clear as we continue reading. So first we see that God is, is showing, uh, or we see God's love shown to us here. But then he switches gears to uh, how this love can now be shown through us. Starts in verse 12. Let me ask you a question. If you had the opportunity to see God, anybody take, take me up on that if I offered you the opportunity? right? I think we would all probably jump at that chance. Well, verse 12, no one has ever seen God, right? Seen his perfect essence. But if we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. Warren Wearsby says it this way, the life of a Christian who abides in God's love is a potent witness for God in the world. Men cannot see God, but they can see his loving or see his love moving us to deeds of helpfulness and kindness. Kindness. What's the purpose or point for this kindness? Romans 2 4. Or do you not presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? This kindness, this love matters because it is through you that people can see Jesus. We are to reflect Christ, Christian, little Christ. And so God has demonstrated his love for us and now we can then be reflectors of that to other people and allow God to be seen through our actions and our behaviors Don Stott wrote it this way. Mutual Christian love is the evidence that the unseen God who was once revealed in his son is now revealed in his people. When they love one another. Don't forget that part. When. Which makes me want to ask a question of you that I've asked myself all week long. Do other people see God and his love through you? Or maybe I should say, when do they? Because here, according to Stott, it's when you, or really according to Scripture, when you show the love. And this love that we're speaking of, I circled it, there's... As in my other notes, I didn't transfer those notes over to here. There's like 21 or so. You can count them and see if I'm, if I'm right. But there's in, in the low 20s, just in these passages, 15 verses, that word love. And this is the agape love. This is the sacrificial kind of love. As I speak with teenagers, this is like um, talking about junior high and senior high love relationships. You know, this isn't just when you say you like this girl, but it's when you like, like this girl. Right? It's not just I I, I love you that you just write at the end of every little note to, to your friends. But this is a sacrificial, not the Phileo love, the Philadelphia love of brotherly love, but the sacrificial love that we are to show. And if we do this, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us or brought to complete maturity. Verse 13, this brings in the assurance for us. It says by this, here's that this word again. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us. Here's the this, because he has given us his spirit. "...has given us of His Spirit, or has indwelt us with His Spirit, and we have seen and testified that the Father has sent His Son to be the Savior of the world." Here, uh, the Apostle John, he was uh, handpicked right, to be a part of, of Jesus' uh, disciples here, be an apostle of Jesus. He was an eyewitness of the things that Jesus said and the things that Jesus did. And Christian, you and I, uh, by faith, we too can be witnesses for Christ right now. He saw and he testifies. We see through Scripture. We see through uh, God's love in each and every one of us that are followers of him. And we testify of what he has done. We testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. The Savior of the world. This is only the second time that that John uses that term to, to explain Jesus as the Savior. The first one was in the book of John. The second one was right here. The Son's an important thing. Once again, again, John directs us to Jesus and what the Father has accomplished by and through his Son Jesus. Let me just give you a quick list of some of the things that we saw or see here in 1 John uh, in this epistle. In in the Son, in Jesus, the Father revealed the word of life, brought eternal life, cleanses us from all sin, gave us an advocate, uh, propitiates our sin, gives us an example to follow, sent the Messiah, makes possible the new birth, sent the righteous and sinless one, takes away our sin, destroys the work of the devil, sacrificed his Son, and gives us life. That's just a few things. Would you say that Jesus, the Son of God, is important? Is he relevant even today? Jesus is still at work. And has become the Savior of the world. We remember these familiar words in Hebrews chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, or 12, verses 1 and 2. It says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, who is the founder or author and perfecter of our faith who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. He came to be our Savior, to save you, to save me from our own short-sightedness, to save us from our sinfulness and rebellion before him. Verse 15, So, whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. Though what here is confession. When we confess that Jesus is the Son of God, then what? God abides in him and he in God. John chapter 1, verse 12. But to all who did receive him who believed in his name. He gave the right to become children of God. God is going to abide with us. He gave us that right through the death of his son and then our confession of that reality, that truth. And he closes this part of God's love shown through you by kind of recapping what he just said in verse 16. So, we have come to know To understand, to realize with our heart, with our soul, we understand this now. We've come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. And then we move on to chapter or verse 17. Verse 17, now it's God's love shown for you says, by this, again, here we go with this, only this time, the this is talking about something that was just said. The this is whoever abides in love, abides in God, and God abides in him. So, by that, or by this, is love perfected, brought to maturity with us. So that, this is, this is a why, so that we may be confident, or may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as he is, so also are we in this world. John MacArthur put it this way, this stunning statement means the Father treats the saints the same way he does his Son, Jesus Christ. He treats you and he treats me the same way, follower of Christ, Christian, the same way he treats his Son. God clothes believers with the righteousness of Christ and he grants the Son's perfect love and obedience. Someday believers will stand before God's throne as confidently as their Lord and Savior does. When, the, when we reach that final accounting, we will see the fulfillment of 1 John 3, 2, which says, but we, believers, know that when he appears, we will be like him because we will see him just as he is. Now, I've thought about this standing before God kind of a thing and, and being in awe and stuff, but I never really thought of, of it the way that John uh, MacArthur just put it in that quote. I will stand there as confidently as Jesus. Let that just sink in for a second. Confidence. Our love abides in God and he is in us. So this love that God shows that we can then emulate is to produce in us confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he, Jesus, did Is, excuse me, because as He is, so also are we in this world. It kind of messes with the tongue when you try to read that little sentence really fast. What does it mean, though? Because Jesus did, Jesus walked on this world, this earth, and He was able to demonstrate, to show that love to us. Just as Jesus did, so can we. So can we, but not on our own. Through Him, we can do it. Because of His example to us, we can show in part that love that He showed to us. Now, if, if you want to keep with the testing, I would kind of call this next part the, the fear test. Verse 18, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. So if we are experiencing and exhibiting this true, perfect love that God is talking about here, there should be no fear in your heart when you think about punishment, the eternal punishment. Like standing before God and like uh, uh, nervous and scared of the punishment that he's going to dish out at you. Now, parents, you've seen your children kind of cower in the, in the fear of knowing that punishment's coming, right? Right. My daughter, it's hilarious. Well, no, it's not hilarious. It is kind of hilarious. But when she knows that she's in trouble and the punishment's coming, she books it down the hallway into her room and hides behind the door. Right? She is afraid of what's coming next. But you know what, Christian, follower of Christ, if you're truly a follower of Christ, then that love that God has shown onto you should extinguish any kind of fear of punishment. Instead of fear, it doesn't produce fear, it produces confidence. Amen. You don't need to be afraid that God is going to somehow come to you, little Christian, you've done such a bad thing, and squash you. That's not what Jesus came to do. What did we say? And or John say? In John three seventeen, not to condemn the world. Romans chapter six, verse twenty three. Yet again, the wages of sin is death. That is something to be scared of. Eternal separation from God, eternity in, in hell, the lake of fire. That, I agree, that is worth some fear and trepidation. But, I tell this to teens all the time, my favorite word, one of my favorite words in the Bible is the word but with one T, right? Comma, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. That is something to be excited about Or maybe this hymn that is, is familiar. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. Man, if I, if I was having to, to trust and believe in myself and my own efforts and abilities, I would be scared. And you should too. Because you're a filthy, nasty, rotten sinner too. Saved by grace, I hope. We all need Jesus. We cannot do this on our own. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 is clear. It's for by grace you've been saved. Through faith, it's not anything that we have done, not our works, so that we don't boast. If we could do something about it, we would, and then we'd boast about it, right? Every time. Every time. It is Jesus. It's to point back to God and his love that he has for us. And he closes here with this, verses 19 through 21. He closes with a part that that I would kind of title as the, the don't live a lie part. This is the warning. So after he shares all of this about what love is and how it originated with him, he demonstrated it to us and then commanded us to love. Then he gives us this warning. Verse 19, the familiar passage, we love because he first loved us. Like I said, order matters. He first loved us, and so our response is to love. Now he goes on to verse 20. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he has not seen, cannot love God, whom he has, excuse me, for he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen so here if you say you love God but you hate your brother you're a liar first john chapter 3 verse 15 also reiterates everyone who hates his brother is a murderer and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him so you're a liar and a murderer you hate your brother siblings take note right But more so than just kin, all right? Brothers and sisters in Christ. Now we've got a a wide auditorium here, right? We've got the piano side people that typically always sit over here. You know who you are. And and the empty side of the church always tend to sit over there. You know who you are. and, and We sit where we normally sit. Some of you really mess everybody up and you go all over the place. Right, But brothers and sisters in Christ, you may not necessarily know who's across one of these, these uh, aisles here. But if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, that's your sister, that's your brother. So we ought not be hating one another. But more than that, we ought not be hating anyone. Right? Why? Because we are all, Christian and non-Christian, are all image bearers of God. So, to hate any individual, God's creation, God's image bearer, is, is to hate God. And he says here is like murder. Don't be a murderer. Don't be a hater. Don't be a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he's not. How can you love what you can't see if you can't love what you can? And he closes this section with a command yet again. And this commandment, and this is what I told you earlier, that we were going to clarify the fact that this is a command, so if you need it written in black and white in your Bible, look with me right now at your copy of God's Word, 1 John chapter 4, verse 21, and this, louder, commandment, commandment. commandment. not suggestion, commandment. highly urge, This isn't Pirates of the Caribbean where these are guidelines. And this commandment we have from him. Who's him? God. In the beginning, God. God is the creator. He gets to tell everybody what we do. He has that authority as our creator. And so here we go. His authority. He is commanding us. Whoever loves me, whoever loves God, must what? Also love his brother. Matthew 22, 37 through 40. And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with your, all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great, the great and first commandment. Amen. But it continues. So reserve your amen for the whole thing. Okay. <laughs> and second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Amen, right? On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. This is a command, folks, not a suggestion. But you know what? It should not be that difficult for us. Oh, I take that back. For you, for me, it could be difficult on our own, because there are those tough-to-love people, all right? We're getting close to Christmas and Thanksgiving, and that resonates with you, right? Because there's a lot of, Mark Lowry says, there's a lot of family that I love that I don't like, right? You You understand? So, so there are some tough-to-love people. But that's why Jesus, uh, that God so loved us. The Trinity has everything to do with salvation, by the way. It's really cool. God loved us. So he sent Jesus to die on the cross for us. And then he gave us the Holy Spirit to reside, to dwell within us, to enable us, to empower us, to be able to love that person that is tough to love. So you can't, I know, I can't, but we can because God did first. Amen? What is love? Love is from God. He is the creator. Love is demonstrated, shown, or communicated to us by God. And love is commanded. It is not a suggestion. So, how are you loving others today? Because if your answer is void of God, is void of Jesus, then that's not true love your answer should be deeply rooted in the love that god has shown us because that is what we are to then emulate so i ask again how are you truly biblically loving others today when someone looks at you do they see christ do they see god the love of the father in you or they do they just see a nice person Tell you what, hell's going to be filled with a lot of nice, good people. Because God does not stand at the gates with a scale and tell you to put your good on this, and put, I'll put your sin on this, and see how it balances out. That's not how it works. As mentioned already, it's the righteousness of Jesus That God sees for the believer. Everyone else. Everyone else. Depart from me. For I never knew you. Do you want to be greeted by God at the gates with a depart from me? Or a well done thou good and faithful servant? Father. God I thank you so much for your word. Because it's through your word that you communicated to us your love. You demonstrated your love for us through your son, Jesus Christ. God, I pray that you would be continually working on my heart. So that as I learn the depths of your love more and more. That my love for other people will also grow more and more that I can see people the way that you see them. And Father, that people will see through me you and your love. Help that be uh, true of each and every one of us in this room, God. If there's someone that doesn't know you, Father, I pray that they will experience that true and perfect love that you have that you are offering freely right now to them and that they will accept, that they will, as John said, confess that you are Lord. Confess what you have done on the cross to save us from our sins. And for those that are followers of Christ here today, God, help us to reorient ourselves if we're getting a little bit off track. If we are trying to demonstrate and show love to people in a selfish manner or in a way that is void of anything triune, help us to remember who the author and perfecter of our faith truly is. Father, it's in your holy name, your precious name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.